0: Welcome back to Lachlan Saves the World, I hope you're doing amazing, I have so much gratitude that you're tuning into today's episode, that you're seeking knowledge, that you're seeking the information to make changes in your life and when we change ourselves a beautiful consequence of that is altering the world and changing the environment around us and really making beautiful changes in this world. And I know today's episode will bring you valuable information that you can apply into your life and just make more incredible changes. And I had the pleasure of speaking with Patrick McCowan, the author of The Oxygen Advantage, a book that revolutionized my life and I'm sure has revolutionized thousands and hundreds of thousands and hopefully millions of lives around the world. And he's really just a pioneer when it comes to functional breathing and, and, and getting us back to the most optimal way to breathe. Because when we breathe right, we can really change our quality of life. And there is so much more to the breath than we really understand. And, and we talk about all that into today's episode You know, switching from mouth breathing to nose breathing, the importance of oxygen, something we don't really think about as it is our number one nutrient. We can go days without food and days without water, but a mere few minutes without oxygen. So that should really put it in perspective to how vital (laughs) oxygen really is. We need it every second of every day you know we also dive into sleep apnea and behavioral problems and jaw deformities and malclusion, crooked teeth all this is stemming from incorrect breathing patterns and breathing habits so it's a jam packed episode like i said if you breathe right you can change the quality of your life so i really hope that you devour this conversation, that you absorb everything like a sponge and you go and apply the information and education from today's episode into your life immediately and start making changes. So just a quick disclosure before we do jump into today's episode, it was quite laggy at times, there were sections where I would cut out and speed up. So I tried to save what I could and I tried to mitigate as much of the lag as possible. Regardless, it, it's still quite good and there's still it's quite smooth. There is just little parts in there that may be a little bit laggy. Um, so if I didn't talk as much, it's kind of because I was really focusing on just getting the information out of Patrick because I didn't really know when it was going to cut out. It felt like it was going to cut out a lot of times. But anyways, the information and education is still there. So we'll jump into it. Enjoy. Yeah, so I stumbled across your work at the start of last year. And as someone who grew up with, let's say I didn't win the anatomical prize for facial structure. uh, So I grew up with malclusion and was a heavy mouth breather. So coming across your book was like winning the lottery and you know I think for a lot of people too this is you know as we see a massive epidemic of mouth breathing and I understand you, you, know, you have a very similar story so for those who don't know um, how did you kind of stumble across um, breathing and, and oxygen and getting into this whole
1: field? Sure um, it was something that I came across by accident And I suppose, you know, if you're growing up with asthma, you're growing up with sleep issues and generally higher stress. If you have a breathing pattern disorder, if you are a mouth breather, if you have nasal obstruction, it's not just isolated to breathing. Your sleep is also likely to be affected. So people who are breathing hard and fast and mouth breathing, they tend to have increased risk of snoring. I was told that I was stopping breathing during my sleep and I used to wake up tired. So, you know, like these issues are so common, Lachlan. It's absolutely, you know, the incidence of mouth breathing in children is between 25 to 50%. We've no statistics in adults because nobody cares to do any research on it. And I'm going to say one thing. If your breathing is off, it really affects your quality of life.
0: Mm.
1: Not just during childhood, but absolutely throughout adulthood. No adult who's going around with his stuff he knows all the time is reaching their full potential.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree, you know, because it's just another element that is missing to us being able to express our full potential. You know, if you're not breathing correctly, your mind's going to be scrambled. If your breath is scrambled, your mind's scrambled. Your emotions yes. are scrambled. Your connection to life is almost like distorted. Uh, it plays into yes. so many aspects. So like, do we re- really know why it's happening? Is it, is it the new you know, 21st century lifestyle? Is it the environment? Um, what do we see causing uh, unfunctional breathing?
1: I don't know if there's any one factor. I think there's a number of different factors. Um, probably food comes fairly high up there in terms of the change from a very natural and kind of um, unprocessed diet to completely the opposite. And this has been written about by different people. Dr. Weston Price wrote a book back in the nineteen mm, yep. thirties. And within one generation, when children switched from within gen, one generation, when individuals when, when people switch from a very natural diet to processed diet, first generation children became mouth breathers. And the problem with mouth breathing kids is that it does alter the craniofacial, it does alter the shape and the space inside the mouth. And as a result, the jaws can be set back because the tongue isn't in the roof of the mouth. Jaws are set back. The airway is smaller. Anatomically, these kids are deficient in terms of airway. They have malocclusion. They have malocclusion because of there's not enough room in the mouth for their teeth. It's not, you know, sometimes people will say, an orthodontist will say, well, the child has inherited the dad's big teeth and the mom's small jaw. And that's nonsense. You know, they're putting it down to 95% genetic. Well, listen, we didn't have crooked teeth up until pretty recently. And it's all too easy to blame it on genetics. Now, of course, genetics plays some influence. But if you blame it on gene responsible for any of it, and it also means that there's nothing we can do about it, but there's a lot we can do about it. Children who are tongue-tied, children who are tongue-sucking, children who are mouth-breathing, children who are using pacifiers, and children who were eating soft foods, children who were um, not breastfeeding—all of those kids, that's all of those things are increasing the risk of of mouth breathing and mouth breathing then is going to cause and result in teeth. And what's more, young kids would say, sleep disorder, sleep apnea. typically the gold standard of treatment is adenoidectomy and tonsillectomy, mm. and the efficacy of this was first discovered or first really put to um, investigation in 2010. So doctors have been removing adenoids and tonsils from young kids for decades. But the efficacy of it in terms of the benefit for sleep it was only investigated in 2010. They looked at 587 children. Only 27% of these kids had their sleep apnea completed, Them continued to have sleep apnea. Yeah, it was great, great, greatly reduced, but it was still there. So there's other factors that we need to be looking at. We have to be looking at the, the anatomical issues. We have to be looking at the craniofacial issues. And enlarged adenoids are only a problem if the airway is small. Mm. So to be an athlete, you really want forward development of the jaws. You want strong jaws. You want a decent airway. You need a good nasal cavity. But if you're going around with your mouth hanging open as a kid, you're, you're going to have – I'm just conscious the internet is coming in and out, so I don't know how it is on your end. but
0: Yeah, it's cutting in a little bit now, but um, I'm catching most of everything you say, which is Okay. Okay. Yeah, so on on top of that, you know, like we're talking about, um, there's many factors affecting uh, essentially the growth of the jaw because we know the the jaw is very malleable um, from a from newborn up to twelve and potentially up to the age of eighteen when it's really malleable. So, getting nutrition right, getting correctly breathing right, getting the tongue posture right um is a massive opportunity there as kids and going into that so yes. how does someone begin to functionally breathe how do they sit the tongue in the mouth correctly to expand the jaw to open the airways
1: well number one is why is why is the child having the mouth open is it because of habit is it just a you know poor muscle tone maybe they weren't able to breastfeed and maybe they didn't develop good muscles in the facial structure Is it because of a habit or is it because of an obstruction? Is it because the nose is stuffy or is it because the adenoids are large or is it because the airway is small? Okay, with habit, we can change it easy. So part of what we do with kids is we give them different exercises to help retrain their breathing patterns. And we also have them wear tape. Yes. Um, So we have a new tape that's come out, which is called MyoTape. And MyoTape is different from the traditional taping of the mouth because MyoTape surrounds the mouth, but it doesn't cover the mouth. So we have kids to 90 minutes per day. Now with the MyoTape, the kids can talk and they can communicate. And we also have the kids wear it during sleep. Um, Now people may be aghast of, oh, he's he's talking about taping kids' mouths during sleep. (laughs) But in terms of the MyoTape, the objective is to get the valve closed, but sorry, now I'm just kind of rooting to see if I have, if I have one strip of it here. I just came in from London last night, so I'm just looking at my, yeah, so I'll give you an example here. This here is my tape. I'm not mm, sure okay. if, if the camera. Yep. So,
0: yeah, you make me say, yeah,
1: So this is, the whole objective is that you have a strip of tape. Now this is the child size. So you tear it off, you dry your lips, you stretch the tape. And you're just putting it around your lips.
0: No, and it brings I, the lips
1: together. Yeah. So it's it's we have always had this issue in terms of how do we get kids breathing through the nose, but and especially during sleep, but without causing them risk. And that's why, I, yeah. So in terms of there's other exercise. So it's going back to habit. Habit is really about changing the habit so that the child understands and naturally and involuntarily will just switch to nose breathing during all times during rest during sleep, during physical exercise. And then obstruction is a different story. If the nose is stuffy with rhinitis, you can easily free it by simply holding the breath. Mm-hmm. So we have a series of exercises there. If the obstruction is the back of the nose, the adenoids want to address that. Well, you know, there's two schools of thought. The traditional school of thought is, well, the adenoids are enlarged, the child is having sleep issues, the child isn't thriving. The child isn't, isn't growing as well as they should for their age. So let's bring the kids to an ear, nose and throat doctor and get the adenoids out. But when you look at the literature, even though it's not well documented, enlarged adenoids rarely cause mouth breathing unless the airway is compromised. So what's the real problem here? Is it enlarged adenoids at the back of the article on this? I put it up on our website and I went down the adenoid ectomy route. You know, how many years ago was it? Six years ago, whatever. Yep. My only kid was having sleep issues. And I brought her to the ENT and we had her adenoids, our tonsils out, we had her lip tie done, we had her tongue tied on, etc. If I was to do it again, I wouldn't have gone down that approach. Oh, I would have first brought her to a functional dentist and I would have had her maxilla developed. and um, I would have had her wear light wire appliances and functional orthodontics to help develop the maxilla to make room for the airway so mm-hmm. that she could restore nasal breathing and with nasal breathing the adenoids can shrink. So it's really time that we start looking at this from a different perspective. And I've no vested interest in this. I'm not in either industry. But Mm -hmm. all I will say is, as a parent, it's not a nice sight, your child coming back in on a trolley after being under a general anesthetic at the age of four or five years of age. No follow-up, no advice, re-nasal breathing, post-tonsillectomy, and adenoidectomy. Like, all it is, is it's an assembly line get the kids in, charge them 5,000 euro, get them out again. That's And that's the way it is. Um, you know, the, the, the relapse and sleep apnea, that there's a worsening of the apnea hypopnea index, which is an index of the severity of sleep apnea in kids and adults. But the worsening thing is there's a 65% chance rel- of relapse within three years unless nasal breathing is restored. But there's no follow-up post-surgery. Very few ear, nose and throat doctors have implemented nasal breathing. So they're removing the problem, but they're not addressing the behavior. Like I gave a talk to ear, nose and throat doctors in January of last year, 2019, 150 of them. And I told them, I said, listen, you fixed my nose in 1994. My nose is still all over the place. Yeah. But at least I was fixed. A had surgery on my nose in 1994, but nobody told me to breathe through it. So despite having the surgery in the last four years, until I read about the importance of nose breathing in a newspaper article. And that's when I started doing the nose and blocking exercises, switching to nose breathing. And that's when I started noticing my sleep improving, my asthma improving, but also calmness of the mind. Because if you have fast mouth, upper chest breathing, your sleep is impacted, your breathing is impacted, but your mind is impacted.
0: And when we look at um, upper chest breathing is that mainly because we're like only using the shallow part of the lungs? Like we're not using the full muscle of the, the lungs. We're not getting down into the lower
1: lobes. That's correct. I'll give you this as an example. So here we have fast, shallow breathing. Mm. We're ventilating the air up into the upper regions of the lungs. I'm not sure if you can see this. Can you?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can say it perfectly.
1: So we're taking the air into the upper regions, but the greatest concentration of blood in the human lungs is in the lower regions. Mm. Now, what causes this? Mouth breathing. And they will tend to breathe more into the upper chest and less down into the abdomen, down, you know, diaphragmatically or lower in, in the lungs. Now, when you breathe through your nose, you harness a gas called nitric oxide And as you nose breathe, and as you learn to breathe using the lower part of the lungs and using the diaphragm breathing muscle, that nitric oxide redistributes the blood throughout the lungs, it 10 to 15% increased oxygen uptake in the blood. But not only do they have an increased oxygen uptake in the blood, breathing through your nose, you're more likely to have more normal carbon dioxide in the blood. And certainly during physical exercise, when you breathe through your nose, your carbon dioxide in the blood increases. And carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas, but the release of oxygen from the red blood cells to the cells is the break in the blood, and they have increased oxygen delivery to the tissues.
0: Yeah, so in the end, uh, carbon dioxide is kind of the real superhero here because it is that key variable to get oxygen into the cells.
1: Yes, yeah. This was discovered back in 1904. This is not new information. Um, it's based on a, you know, the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve, which simply states that as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood pH drops, the curve shifts to the right, and the affinity of hemoglobin for oxygen reduces. In other words, the red blood cells release oxygen in the presence of carbon dioxide and a drop to blood pH. Now, you think of that law. That was discovered called the Bohr effect over 100 years ago, but yet most of the yoga instructors that you go to, most of the Pilates instructors, most of the stress counselors... You seem to think I'm probably giving out about everybody here this morning, but, um, but you know what? I just hear it all too often. Um, take a big breath. I want you to take more air. I want to fill your lungs. I want you to take a deep breath. All of that is not good information because you know it's not about just activating the biomechanics. It's not about just breathing deeply. It's about having a balance with your breathing. We need to get the biochemistry right. We need to get the biomechanics right. And we also need to practice the cadence and changing the cadence of the breath. You know, the biochemistry is all about carbon dioxide. What's the the pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood? Or are you breathing too hard? Is your respiratory rate too fast? Is the tidal volume too high? Is your minute ventilation too high? And if you're breathing more air than what you need to cause hypocapnia, which is a lowering of CO2, it's termed chronic hyperventilation or hyperventilation. We need to get the biochemistry right because it's very important for helping with blood circulation. Do you know, like... In three to four minutes, you can feel warmer by slowing down your breathing to create air hunger. How do you feel warmer? Well, as you slow down your breathing, carbon dioxide increases in the blood, and the increased carbon dioxide in the blood opens up the blood vessels. So your blood circulation is impacted. And also, as you slow down your breathing to create air hunger, more oxygen gets to your cells. So even though you feel that you are not getting enough air, more oxygen gets delivered. Slow breathing also calms the mind. Nose and slow breathing is harnessing nasal nitric oxide. Like people now, the talk now at the moment is coronavirus. Mm. But I would much rather be a nose breather than a mouth breather because whatever hope you have that your nose, that your body can sterilize that incoming air, it's going to be through the nose and it's absolutely not through the mouth. The mouth plays zero role in terms of the conditioning of the air before it's brought into the lungs. If you open up a medical textbook and if you look at the functions of the mouth, I would very much doubt it if you would see breathing as being one, not a function of the mouth, even though we can breathe through the mouth, breathing is a function of the nose. So the innate physiological mode of breathing is nasal in the human being, regardless of age and most animals. You know, So in terms of defense, and okay, I'm going a bit astray there. With the biochemistry, I'll come back to it. That's all about carbon dioxide. The biomechanics then is about using the lower parts of the the lower regions of the lungs where the greatest concentration of blood is. And of course, I from is very important for lymphatic drainage, mm-hmm. for massaging the internal organs, for for functional movement because. It's with the movement of the diaphragm that it generates intra-abdominal pressure. And intra-abdominal pressure is indicated when when you breathe in that you have a lateral expansion of the lower two ribs. And when you breathe out, you have a lateral contraction of the lower two ribs. And it's the generation of intra-abdominal pressure that helps to stabilize the spine. So, you know, you can think of a weightlifter. They're going to lift a weight. But as they lift the weight, they breathe in and they hold their breath to brace the abdomen to stabilize the spine to support that weight. So the biomechanics is very important as well. And then the third dimension that we concentrate on now is is cadence breathing. And this is slowing down the respiratory rate to six breaths per minute to stimulate pressure receptors inside the major blood vessels to increase uh, heart rate variability respiratory sinus arrhythmia, and also to stimulate the vagus nerve. So you can imagine the impact. And like, as I was talking to you about it, this is our new manual in terms of for oxygen advantage. And sometimes I would hope that I'm not putting it out there as a cure-all, but it's not. But when we look at the functions of what we can achieve through the breath, there's a list. So you're talking about biochemistry, the cadence, the biomechanics, you're talking about, you know, using different techniques. We use sports masks for one, but we also do intermittent hypoxic, hypercapnic training and functional movement during functional, functional breathing during functional movement. So you're talking about, in a nutshell, opening up the airways, helping to improve the functioning of the autonomic or the automatic nervous system, increasing the balance between sympathetic, which is more stress response and parasympathetic, increasing that balance. Increasing blood circulation, increasing oxygen delivery, improving the immune function, lowering high blood pressure or normalizing blood pressure, improving functional such going on in terms of increasing the buffering capacity when we're doing sprinting with breath tolling to delay lactic acid and fatigue, increasing blood flow to the brain by doing breath tolling, opening up the nose. Um, so it's amazing what we can do through, through the breath. And I'm going to come back to this. It's not just about going into a yoga studio. Now, by the way, there are some brilliant yoga teachers. Absolutely. Uh, there's a new book out called Restoring Prana by Robin Rottenberg. And if you, but it's not just about going into a studio and taking these full big breaths, because that's the greatest load of nonsense. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, I can't give you a comparison straight off, but it's not looking at the subtleties of the breath. And it shows no understanding of the physiology of breathing in terms of the biochemistry in terms of the cadence et cetera
0: yeah the the idea of taking that deep breath and even going further is like over breathing It's not something we just perceive and think about in these days like we again, we don't even think about oxygen, we don't even think about how oxygen is literally. The most vital nutrient we need, we need it every second of every day. you know you say we can only go days without food and days without water, but only you know, like a couple minutes without oxygen mm. does the quality of oxygen like this nutrient matter like would it would it benefit someone say go on hiking to do these breathing exercises and to really get that to uh, get the oxygen like dense and? Yes. That- in, in nature?
1: Yeah, you know. Okay, it's a good question. We we use bold score, which is a measurement of the chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide. But in simple terms, it's a measurement of how long can you hold your breath for until your body sends the f- first impulses to breathe. Typically, it's a measure of breathlessness, the degree of breathlessness. It's also at high altitude uh, an indicator of whether the individual has acclimatized. So an individual with a high breath hold time at high altitude is in a better position than an individual with a very low breath hold time. Mm. So there's a few things. First of all, if one was climbing into high altitude, I would have them do breath holding during the day. I would have them create a hypoxic response to prepare their body to be better able to cope with the drop to blood oxygen saturation as they ascend. I'd also have them increase their bolt score because how you breathe at rest is going to also influence how you breathe. During, during both physical exercise, during sleep, and also at altitude. And the other thing is, you can change and improve your breathing efficiency by slowing down your breathing. And this was shown by one paper published, I think back in 2001, by Luciano Bernardi. He got individuals to change their breathing patterns to six breaths per minute at high altitude. Yep. Their blood oxygen saturation at the time, before doing the change to their breathing, was 80%. So 80% would be severe hypoxia. And basically, he had them slow down their breathing to six breaths per minute. And their SpO2 or their SaO2, I'm sure they were using pulse oximetry. So the saturation of their hemoglobin with oxygen increased from 80% to 89% within a few minutes. Now, how did he do it? (laughs) I'm going to, if I can get the maths pretty quickly. He simply had them slow down their breathing from 12 breaths to six breaths per minute. Now, what's the benefit of doing that? Well, you waste less space. You waste less air in what's called dead space. I'm just looking for the, if I can find the maths of it here in our manual. Um, So yeah, so I'm gonna give you an example here. The top one, I'm not sure if you can read this, but in any event, you've got example one. The respiratory rate is, is sorry, the, the minute ventilation is achieved by the respiratory rate multiplied by the tidal volume equals minute ventilation. Now you can imagine somebody breathing in through their nose. They're taking it, It's during rest. Tidal volume is normal at 500 mil. So they're taking six liters of air into their body. Now this is the amount of air that they breathe into their nose. But of that, how much of it gets down into the small air sacs for mm. gas exchange to yes. take place? Yep. Because it's not about breathing air into your nose. It's about getting the air down to where the oxygen can transfer from the lungs into the blood. So we need to subtract the air that stays in the throat and the nasal cavity, in the throat and the trachea, etc., in the bronchi and the bronchioles. So to the small air sacs, we have a respiratory rate of twelve breaths. We multiply it by five hundred mil, which is the normal size of the breath, but subtract dead space of one fifty. So twelve by twelve by three fifty gives you four point five. Sorry, four point two liters there. So that's four point two liters by breathing twelve breaths. Now, how about we change it from 12 to six breaths? So we're mm. taking six breaths into the nose, but instantly we've multiplied it. So the minute ventilation is the same because in this example, we want to see how much more efficient are we with our breathing by taking the same amount of air into the nose. Can we change the amount of air that gets down into the small air sacs? Yeah. And in this example, because we've reduced the respiratory rate, We've also reduced the amount of air lost to dead space. So in this example, alveolar ventilation has increased to five we're talking about an increase from 4.2 liters to 5.1 liters per minute just by slowing the respiratory rate. That's about a 20% improvement to breathing efficiency. So the whole objective here is if you're going for a run, how do runners breathe? They usually breathe fast and shallow. It absolutely makes no sense. It's trauma to their mouth. It dries out the mouth. They've got worse dental health. It dries out their airway, their throat. It's trauma to the throat. It's trauma to the lungs. Many of them will experience um, exercise-induced bronchoconstriction. They've got increased degrees of breathlessness. They've got reduced oxygen uptake in the blood, reduced oxygen delivery to the cells. They've got reduced recovery post-physical exercise. Um, it's crazy, but yet everybody is doing it. <laughs> everybody, you know, it, well, I can't say everybody, but I'd say, say 95%. Yeah, if you, you go a to number. a gym, it's very, very high. Now, what would be the difference if you switch from mouth to nose breathing? I'll give you an example, George Dalum's paper. And he, he tested six recreational or 10 recreational athletes. I can't remember the number now, but he had them breathe through their nose for a period of six months. And then he tested them because there's no point in just getting a bunch of athletes and say, all right, guys, now today I'm going to switch you to nasal breathing and I'm going to test how do you do with your mouth closed versus your mouth open. Of course, the results will be crap because they've done mouth breathing for the last 20 years. And now <laughs> today you're teaching them to breathe through their nose and you're testing them how, do, how will they perform on something new that they've never done before that the body hasn't made the adaptations.
0: You're going to retrain So it. that's
1: where Dalham's, huh?
0: You've got to retrain that, that muscle, that mechanism.
1: You do, and you also have to get the body adapted to different changes in the blood chemistry. So with Dalham's paper, he had the guys switch to nasal breathing for six months, and at six months, then he tested them. They were able to achieve a 100% work. Their ventilation was 22% less nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. The respiratory rate nasal breathing was 39 breaths per minute. Mouth breathing was 49 Carbon dioxide in the blood was 40 millimeters of mercury mouth breathing, 44 millimeters of mercury nasal breathing. The fraction of expired oxygen was less with nasal breathing. So overall, here you have a group of individuals. After six months of training with the mouth closed, they are able to perform the same in 22% less ventilation. Now, can you imagine a group of recreational athletes that are able to do the same work rate intensity, with twenty two percent less breathlessness that's a huge saving in terms of economy, and it's not going to just apply to recreational athletes because I've seen elite athletes, and they too can be prone to breathing pattern disorders, and nobody seems to be looking at it. Okay, they use respiratory muscle training devices, but how does the, how do they breathe when they walk down the street? are they using when they're using the respiratory muscle training device? Are they breathing through their mouth or nose? Yeah. How are they breathing during training? We we have to go into more detail than what's out there.
0: Yeah, and I think a good example of that, like you're saying, is you know even the top of the top athletes aren't breathing correctly. So that's really going to mean that majority of the population isn't either. And a, a good example of that is like someone like Conor McGregor, you know, one of the top of the top elite athletes in the world, yet he's not necessarily functionally breathing correctly.
1: Um, there's room for improvement. There's no doubt. Yeah. If you look at any athlete, and I've looked at Conor McGregor's breathing in terms of just when he's sitting there at a press conference, what do you see? You'll see faster upper chest breathing, no natural pauses between breaths. It's a really poor breathing pattern. And that's how it is during rest. Now, what can you predict from looking at somebody with that breathing pattern during rest? You're going to predict that they're going to gas out too soon. It's no coincidence, you know, but maybe some people would say, well, he's gassing out too soon because of lack of conditioning. This guy is well conditioned. You know, we see top athletes, they've got tremendous conditioning, but they've got poor breathing and the poor breathing is what's holding them back. So the strength and conditioning coach is conditioning every part of the body (laughs) except respiration.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. We're not thinking about the internal like muscles, like the respiratory system, like the lungs as a muscle, the abdomen as a muscle to really uh, work out and, and get a workout in. Like you say, when you, when you um, are doing the breast holding exercises, CO2 is the message to actually want to breathe. So your abdomen is going to start to pulsate and your spleen and your kidneys and you get many other benefits out of that. Um, Can we talk about some of the benefits that you're getting from the spleen and the kidneys? We, you know, we get EPO, we're getting more uh, red blood cells. Can can you talk about that a little bit more?
1: Sure. So your, your spleen is an organ that's located under the left side of the diaphragm and it's your blood bank. It contains about 8% of the, it stores blood. Um, So it stores blood that if the body needs additional blood, the spleen will release increased blood or release blood into circulation. But if the body has too much blood, the spleen will hold on to it. So the spleen is the blood bank, and there's generally about 8% of the the entire blood is contained within the spleen. It's about 200 to 300 milliliters. Now, it's a very high-quality, densely packed blood. 80% is hematocrit, so it's really good quality. Mm. Now, when you do five strong breath holds, you have maximum spleen contraction. So as you hold your breath, especially on an exhale, your spleen releases red blood cells into circulation. And all it takes is a 30-second breath hold for the spleen to release red blood cells into circulation. So if we have fighters going into a ring or sprinters, I'll have them do five strong breath holds before they go out because I want spleen contraction to increase blood flow to the brain, to open up their airways, and to put them into a state of alertness. I want the guys, you, you want guys going out pumped, you know, you want them feeling absolute intensity. And strong breath holds is a great way to to put put the body and put the brain into a state of an alertness and focus. Now, after that, we do get rid of a little bit of carbon dioxide just in case they're too acid, acid acidity, um, acidity in the blood. So, yeah, that's the spleen. Now, how long does the effect last? Quite a few papers say 10 minutes, and some papers say 60 minutes. So, like... When the spleen releases red blood cells into circulation, the question is, how long does it take then for the spleen to reabsorb that blood? Mm. And that question, as I said there, I don't know that, that answer. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the second thing is erythropoietin or EPO. EPO, so as you do strong breath tolls, and as you lower your blood oxygen saturation down to about 85%, which is about, it's severe hypoxia, your kidneys, but the kidneys will synthesize a hormone called erythropoietin or EPO and EPO when it increases it stimulates the maturation of the um, blood cells red blood cells in the bone marrow so but this takes about three to four days so say for instance if we were if we had an athlete fighting on say Sunday I will have them do breath holding today yesterday the day before but I'll have them do breath holding tomorrow as well Yep. and the breath holding from these days into effect on Sunday because there's a lag of about three to four days to increase oxygen carrying capacity. Now, do we see all athletes increasing their oxygen carrying capacity from doing strong breath holes with erythropoietin? No, there's some non-responders. But that's not the only reason that we do the strong breath holes. We also do strong breath holes probably to train the brain that the athlete can push themselves harder and faster without overdoing it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, because if you think of high intensity interval training athletes are pushing themselves during high intensity interval training to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis now anaerobic glycolysis is when your blood oxygen saturation is dropping when you're driving the body into an anaerobic state but if you do high intensity interval training your carbon dioxide level in the blood won't change and your blood oxygen saturation will drop down to maybe about 93% with nose with mouth breathing 91% with nose breathing 91% is mild hypoxia you're just going into hypoxia there. So this stimulant is is very, it's mild, even though it feels extreme, it's mild. So we do breath holding during jogging or running or sprinting, and we drive the body into severe hypoxia, but it's less traumatic because if I have an athlete, if they're they're preparing for an event in a few days, there's no point in driving them through the hoops now that you could be causing them trauma and increasing the risk of injury. So instead do breath holding during jogging, so that you're stimulating anaerobic glycolysis, but you're not going to cause injury. And the other thing is rehabilitation. If you have an athlete that can't train, you know, during recovery, yeah. um, why not give them breath holds to help with that rehabilitation and to speed up the, the progress?
0: Yeah, and for, that's a lot like a lot for athletes. Are there? Opportunities people can take to do breath holding, like say for the average person who's just like working out on the weekends or whatever, or just trying to live a healthy quality of life. Can we incorporate them like before sleep, maybe upon waking to like increase oxygen uptake? Are there Can we kind of optimize our lifestyle to incorporate them?
1: Yeah, of course. It's the only way to do it. Um, I wrote about that, you know, in the different books. And before sleep, I wouldn't do strong breath holds because it'll make you too alert.
0: So what would you want to do before sleep? Like, like the- slow, slow breathing. Yeah.
1: Slow breathing with lateral expansion and contraction of the lower ribs. And slow breathing with air hunger. So slowing down the breath to the point that you feel air hunger. Um, because that will, that will induce the calming effect, even though yeah, air is a beneficial. And then when they get up. Now, I wouldn't yep. do breath holding straight away when you get up either. Yep. I'd probably wait about a half an hour or so just to allow the body just to kind of, kind of come back into it and then do the strong breath holds. So, strong breath holds are very good for kind of pumping you, you know, yeah. reg- up regulation as opposed to slow breathing is more down regulation. And um, they both serve a very good purpose. Like, slow breathing is very important for in terms of the mind, in terms of focus, in terms of concentration. And that's another aspect of it. The on a subject or a task with 100% of your attention, without a load of distracting thoughts coming in. Like the mind needs to be trained. The breath needs to be trained. But if you train your breathing, you're also training the mind. Because as you train your breathing, you're holding your attention on the breath. Your mind wanders, you're bringing your attention back. Your mind wanders, you're bringing your attention back. But you're also increasing blood flow to the brain. You're also increasing oxygen delivery to the brain. Because anybody, any of your listeners who wake up at a dry mouth in the morning, they are not waking up feeling alert. So the next time you wake up, you know, the two things is, your, is tongue resting in the roof of the mouth where it should be, and is your mouth closed, and is your mouth moist? That's what you want to wake up.
0: So for uh, to the essentials that people uh for sleep to, you know, we sleep for eight hours, so that's a perfect time to start to retrain and uh, readapt uh, to nose
1: breathing. I think mouth taping is very important. Um, I think it's the one way that you guarantee that the mouth is closed during sleep. Now, one way would be to look at myo tape. There's other tapes in the market, lip seal tape, SomniFix. You could go down to a local drugstore or chemist mm. and get 3M one-inch paper tape. So just different ways. But I would just say with kids, don't tape across the lips. It's just too dangerous. Um, some adults are a bit apprehensive about wearing tape, especially if they have anxiety. And again, tape could fit that. So I'd say definitely, yeah, if your mouth is open, do something to address it. Don't just wake up. Don't sleep with your mouth open. It's crazy.
0: Uh, I'm very interested because I've had some kind of, I guess, uh, well, not really odd effects from nose breathing, but um, I've I've had problems with my ears growing up as a kid, had perforated eardrums and holes in my eardrums. And and one of the benefits I had from nose breathing was actually like being able to hear better and um, clearing up my ears. And I'm wondering what are other interesting benefits you've seen from nose breathing? I know you talk about like weight loss and possibly even memory um, are there any other things that have arise that you're you're interested in that you've seen?
1: I think memory is a very good one. I haven't looked at it in detail yet. I haven't covered it in the new book. Um, eustachian tube. There's a couple of buteco small studies done that One was done recently enough, published about six months ago, that uh, the function it's better clearing or functioning of the eustachian tube as a result of nose breathing and doing the breathing exercises. Mm. Um, like I think in terms of. The application of nose, slow, and low breathing for increasing heart rate variability it's huge. Mm. You know, and heart rate variability that the, the timing, the or to or intervals, but basically the time between heartbeats, it should be random and it should be in, in rhythm and be the timing of your heartbeat and your breathing. So as you breathe in, you should notice that your heart rate is getting faster. And as you breathe out, you should notice that the heartbeat is slowing down that's called respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And it's a very good indicator. If you've got a faster, during rest, if you have a faster pulse or a faster heart rate on the inhalation, and a slower heart rate on the exhalation, it's a good indicator of the functioning of your autonomic nervous system. Now when you look at the application of slow, it's huge in terms of, give you an example, diabetes type one. I've steered well clear of it for 15, 20 years.
0: Mm. Yep.
1: But then one of our instructors, Nick Keach is his name. He's a NASA trained scientist. He's a PhD trained in NASA. Now it's a meteorology, but he developed type one, or he was diagnosed with type one diabetes when he was 12 years of age. Wow. And he's fairly health conscious, you know, in terms of good diet, physical exercise and everything. Yep. And he came across the ox and his control of his type one diabetes improved significantly and reduced need for medication by applying these breathing techniques. So as a trained scientist, he started looking to see where is the research. So he came across Bernardi's papers and he put a website together. It's called the breathingdiabetic.com. Now I'm writing a couple of books at the moment and one of those books is going to have the application of slow breathing for improving control of type one diabetes. Because, you know, it's, it's incredible to think that something as simple as changing breathing patterns can improve control in in quite a severe medical condition. But even, Lachlan, looking at sleep apnea, we can make huge impacts. There's an Australian lawyer called Paul Rodriguez about, I don't know, five or six years ago. He was diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea. And, of course, if you're office-bound and if you have obstructive sleep apnea, it's a big problem because you can't concentrate. Yeah. You know, a guy in a building site, if they have sleep apnea, they'll probably get away with it a bit more because they're doing physical work. And, you know, it's a different type of concentration. Um, it's more, you know, manual as opposed to, to mental. But if you're office bound and you need to use your mind and you need to have clarity of thought, you also need to have energy. So Paul Rodriguez came across Buteco, put it into practice, got good results, and ended up writing a book on it called Breathless Sleep No More. Now again, nose breathing, slow breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, huge applications in sleep apnea. The field of sleep medicine has changed dramatically in the last four to five years. Four new phenotypes of sleep apnea. Uh, breathing, nobody has really researched breathing yet. You know, most of the research is on CPAP machine, that great Australian invention. Um that half the people that are prescribed it can't comply with it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it it was an invention that's designed to administer positive pressure to splint open the airways. So it's, it's the doctor who invented it, Dr. Colin O'Sullivan, he got the idea from a vacuum cleaner. And a vacuum cleaner sucks air and the CPAP machine pumps air. So when we apply breathing exercises, we can reduce the negative pressure in the airways and we can help open up the airway as well. And this reduces turbulence and reduces risk of collapse. Is there other conditions? I think with the emotions, with anxiety, with depression, with PTSD, slowing down the breath to increase heart rate variability. So, you know, how many people with anxiety, with depression, with high stress are going to go to their psychotherapist. They get cognitive behavioral therapy, great, but it doesn't address the breathing physiology. So you have people with anxiety who are breathing fast and shallow, and this fast and shallow breathing is feeding into their anxiety, but cognitive behavioral therapy is not going to change breathing patterns. To change breathing patterns, you have to you have to target specifically the breathing pattern with an emphasis on improving the biochemistry and the biomechanics and nasal breathing, etc. So like and yeah, you probably think that there's some frustration coming out here. It's just that breathing, it's only in the last three to four years that breathing has become a harsh topic. And people are starting to realize it. I think it's happening. Um, but for 17 years, and, well, because I'm at this quite a while, I'm at it since, yeah. but, you know, I, I didn't see much of it in three to four years. I think it's really starting to happen. But we need more research. We need research because scientists want to see that it's not just about anecdotal. But the only thing I'll say is this. You have no risk when you switch from mouth to nose breathing when you slow down your breathing when you use your lower lower breathing when you know when you um, improve your breath hold time, there's no risk there there is a risk if you do strong breath holding so don't do it if you're pregnant never do breathing or do strong breath holding or if you have cardiovascular issues or serious health issues don't do strong breath holding but slow nose light deep breathing you know go do it it's really really important
0: yeah no that that is such powerful powerful and incredible information uh i think that's a great way to wrap up because i honestly think we're about to cut out the internet is uh, very laggy <laughs> you're frozen I wonder if, is, on my screen so i'm not sure if is, gonna... is that
1: irish irish internet or australian i wonder where it's
0: <laughs> oh you know we, we are so far away so i don't know if it's, it might be a bit of both to be honest so we'll both take the blame for it what can you do? Honestly, I thank <laughs> sure, you so much, so much for coming on and, and dropping all this knowledge. It's such powerful information and education that people can just go apply into their life like yes. this, right now. Like people, yep. if you're listening, shut your mouth and breathe through your nose.
1: Yeah, and if any of them have children, we're putting the children's program completely free online in the next two to three weeks. We're just getting the videos edited. So that would be on butecoclinic.com. And then for sports, it's oxygenadvantage.com. So we're putting out quite a few of the exercises we put out there for free of charge. So go do it. There's no excuse not to.
0: Yeah, and I thank you so much because I, I I've watched them videos. I went to you as um, as, as a teacher, as some, like I said, as someone who was a chronic mouth breather, who has mouth who has a you know basically the deformity of the jaw structure. Uh, this is mm-hmm. powerful stuff. It really changes. And when you have the awareness and the education and you actually understand what's going on with your problem, like if you have diabetes or if you have sleep apnea, once you have that information, you know, we can just apply it. Yeah. Make the changes and really put forth our potential into the world.
1: Yeah. Totally.
0: So can people find you anywhere else? You did mention your websites and that um, if they want to. Yeah, we're, we're
1: kind of now f- we were um, on Instagram more so in the last year. We just kind of got involved with Instagram. So we're f- fairly good now at putting out posts and videos and um, just two channels on Instagram. There's oxygen advantage and Buteco, or I think it could be Buteco clinic. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, YouTube channels the same. So if you put in my name, you'll pull up videos and you'll see demonstrations, and I have a TED talk. So if you want to kind of get an idea of some of the breathing exercises and the applications, seventeen minute TED talk is always good. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's out there. Go, it's, go, go! Have a look at it.
0: And you're coming to Australia. You're coming
1: to Sydney. Is that booked
0: out? Is there room for people to still try and get in there?
1: In some room. I think it's it's yeah. It's it's. I'd say there's some free place. I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know its status. I've got a trip, I came in from London last night, I've got a trip next weekend to London, then one to Los Angeles, and then from the 22nd to the 25th, we have Bioteco training in Sydney, and then from the 27th to the 29th, we have Oxygen Advantage training in Sydney.
0: Mate, you are killing it, Ireland's also on top of the world in the combat sports realm,
1: yeah, Irish Irish people, I think in one terms of sports, one sport that we always kind of did okay with is Conor McGregor, et cetera, and John Kavanagh with the MMAs. So it's great. Great to see you. There's a bit of fight in us.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Oh, you got some fight in you, man. You're a savage when it comes to getting the information and education out there. So again, man, appreciate your time. appreciate everything you do. I salute and condemn you. Thank you for the change you're making in the world and the change you had on my life. People, go check out Patrick, go check out all his work uh, and change your life, express that potential and keep on saving the world. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I really hope it brought you immense value. Again, my apologies on the lag and the few bits that did cut out but regardless, I hope you did extract all that information like a sponge and that you're going to apply it into your life immediately. If you did enjoy today's episode, I would highly appreciate it. If you did leave a rating, a review, leave a comment on what you liked, what you didn't like. I will accept all comments or feedback. So I would appreciate that. If you could also share this with your friends, your family, journal about it so you can cement that information. You know, the more information that we can share with people, the more changes we can make. And we can really start to connect as a community. So I hope you have a beautiful day and I'll see you on the next episode.